join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, or Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. There's so much I'd like to see, to know. What was the other word, Lauren? So much I'd like to see, to think, to hear, to know. That's a good definition of curiosity, don't you think? Or maybe a good example of curiosity. We're looking at curiosity this morning as part of our Lenten series and what it means to maybe put down certainty and pick up curiosity. Albert Einstein said, I have no special talent. I am only passionately curious. Curiosity has the capacity to lead us down new paths and towards new discoveries. And I want to say that there's nothing inherently wrong with certainty. But I think that what we're being asked to consider this morning and throughout life is really the willingness to recognize that certainty may be temporary. So these things that we hold to be true may shift and change over time with experience and with the expansion of our families, maybe, or our communities. In today's scripture story, we're going to follow Nicodemus, He first went to Jesus at night, and it seems as though curiosity was the motive that led Nicodemus to seek out Jesus. And going at night was a good way to avoid the scrutiny and judgment of his peers. You see, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was part of a group that was known for their strict observance of traditional and written law. They were known for their certainty when it came to Jewish law. But anyone who's ever studied law or organizational bylaws knows that the law is not always fixed. Sometimes there are gray areas and loopholes. Can I get a nod from the attorneys in the room, please? Thank you, thank you. There's room for interpretation and reinterpretation. And when interpretation becomes certainty and certainty becomes mental fixation, there's little room for curiosity. It's mental fixation that we're hoping to lay aside. In Judaism, just like Christianity, and other world religions, there's a continuum of interpretation. From the most orthodox, as in strict and literal interpretation, to the most reform, as in expansive interpretation, 
as in we know the loopholes. Curiosity is present in different ways along the continuum, and the questions where permitted have answers, and the questions often lead to other questions. That's how curiosity shows up differently along the continuum. Can you see how that would be the case? I was raised in an environment where mental fixation was the norm, where simple obedience was expected, and curiosity was limited to some subjects like science, like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen when we put this in the beaker, and play. What will happen if I throw this rock into the tree to get the Frisbee? Turns out it breaks windshields. <laughs> what about each of you? Where would you place your life on the continuum of certainty and curiosity? And has this changed with time and life experience? One of the verses in this morning's story has had the unfortunate distinction of serving as a dividing line amongst Christian groups, a line in the sand that makes it clear to some who's on the inside and who's on the outside of Christendom. And we're going to follow Nicodemus through three encounters this morning. It's really unusual for a character who is not a disciple uh, to show up more than once. First of all, it's unusual to be named. Think of all the characters in Scripture that aren't named. And then think of the ones that are named, and they usually only show up once. But Nicodemus shows up three times, which means, in my mind, that I think he would be nominated as a Best Supporting Actor. So we're going to follow him through all three, and I want you to listen to the progression. The first one is a time of curiosity, the encounter when Nicodemus goes to Jesus. And this is in chapter 3. I, actually, I won't give you the whole progression at once. I'll just shout it out as we get there, okay? So here's chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Observing some things about Jesus. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? You can see him wrestling with this, right? It's like birth only has one definition and only one time. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. 
Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, scratching his head, says to him, how can these things be true? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher, and yet you do not understand these things? Can I get a nod from the teachers in the room who have learned from their students? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's a lot. There's a lot of red in this section of the Bible. And in some ways, it's a little bit more of, um, I almost want to say, sort of the discourse between two people who know a lot about the Jewish law. And so we may be like, oh, coming in and out of this reading of like, what are they talking about? But Nicodemus, who got sort of a mouthful from Jesus, you know, Jesus doesn't always answer questions. He got a lot of information, and it might be worth revisiting this scripture at some point during the week. It's obvious that Nicodemus sat with this scripture. You know, there are things you don't know, Nicodemus, like about where the wind comes from and where it's gonna go. You know what it's like to experience wind. You've seen me do these signs but you still don't understand. And then we pick up with Nicodemus again in chapter seven. And there are other Pharisees around this time and they were hoping that Jesus would be arrested. And the temple police went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who had said, why didn't you arrest this guy? And they said, well, you know, we've never really seen or heard anyone talk the way he talks. And their certainty and their mental fixation said to them, don't be corrupted by what he's saying. He's false news. But here's what happens. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus at night, you already know this, but they keep saying that, says, our law does not judge people without first giving them a hearing to find out what they are doing, does it? 
And they replied, surely you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and you will see that no prophet is to arise from Galilee. See, that was their certainty at work. It's not supposed to happen that way. The Messiah is gonna come a different way. But here we have Nicodemus who's willing to offer a loophole that says, I think we need to listen a little bit more. The gate opens slowly and not with ease. You still with me? Hmm. That's not many. (laughs) Um, (laughs) All right, I'm just going to keep going. All right, I got a thumbs up. I'm going to go. Nicodemus shows up one more time. So he's gone from curiosity to public support. In other words, let's give this guy a chance. Let's give Jesus a chance. And now we skip all the way to the burial of Jesus. Jesus has already been crucified. And Nicodemus shows up again. This is when Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, although a secret one, Scripture tells us, so no one really knew. So I wonder which group he was a part of. He asked for permission to take the body, and he was given permission. So he and Nicodemus took the body, and Nicodemus came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 100 pounds, a very generous gift. They took the body, they tended to the body, and they placed it in a tomb. This is a very intimate moment. It is a corporal act of mercy to bury the dead. It's also something that's limited to very few. It is an extreme act of love to bury someone who has died. And Nicodemus not only showed up for that moment, but showed up bearing gifts, and not just gifts, but gifts for a king in abundance. It seems to me he came to be a disciple, a private one, or at least someone who so respected Jesus that he gave him and ensured that he had a proper burial. I wonder what questions you have about these readings. It's fun to always be able to say here in this place that questions and curiosity are welcome. That scripture is an invitation into a life of faith. It's not a test into a life of faith. That scripture is an invitation to the fullness of life and love. When we say no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, we're saying your language and your interpretation are welcome and wanted. We can say this because over the centuries many have noticed and noted that God is filled with mercy and grace. The Apostle Paul, whose story progresses from menace to murderer to messenger for Christ, said nothing can separate us 
from God's love. And I think that certainty allows room for curiosity because the list of things can just keep getting longer and longer and longer. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Not gender, not race, not marital status, not occupation, along with trial, tribulation, and all of those things, nothing. In other words, God's love has a height and a depth and a breadth that continues to love. This is the promised cornerstone of the Christian faith. Go ahead and question it. Go ahead and be curious. Is it really true? See for yourself. That's the beauty of curiosity. Don't take my word for it. See it for yourself. Let it be real. For God so loved the world that he sent his beloved son, Jesus. Talk about a generous gift. The gift of a king, not some knight in shining armor wielding a sword the gift of a king. And whoever believes, whoever is persuaded by or places confidence in the love that Jesus' life demonstrated will live fully in this life and whatever is beyond this life because love never ends. That's another way of looking at the verse. This love The love of God, as demonstrated by Jesus, leads to new insights, new observations, maybe even new questions. In the spirit of curiosity, we're going to be looking at two questions this week in our sharing circles. And whether you're formally a part of those groups or not, I hope that these questions are ones that you'll take with with you. Who is Jesus in your life? And what have you noticed about love over the years? If you're willing to ponder these questions, you'll be in good company with Nicodemus and all who have set out in search of new life. All who have set out in search of peace, inner peace. Let's taste and see this new life that Jesus offers as we move into a time of communion.